Hello, my friend. Before we start this amazing episode, I want to invite you to the personal Patreon page of this podcast. If you love what's being done here and want to keep the podcast and the meditations free to the public, then you can come on over to our brand new community on Patreon and donate $11.11 a month and all proceeds will go towards keeping this free, keeping this going. Plus, we'll be building a community together and I'll give you bonus material. You can explore this option in the description of this podcast or just go to patreon.com slash Dr. Reese. Let's begin. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So is there a dark side to enlightenment? Welcome to episode number 121. Today, I'm sitting down with Will Donnelly. He's a veteran yoga instructor, author, and a 30-plus year student of studying and walking the spiritual path. In this conversation, we're going to dig into all the darkness that comes along with this spiritual path and getting closer to the rebirthing. So sit down and relax and take in this beautiful and important recording. Let's begin. Well, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks, Kevin. It's nice to be here. What's the dark side to enlightenment? <laughs> Is there a dark side? <laughs> and Adi Ashanti basically says you know, awakening is pretty much there to destroy you, like crumble everything. When I first started, I, like everybody, had this sort of doe-eyed look to my teachers like they had a secret, which they did. Um, and the teachers in LA, of course, you know, would, would really encourage this whole blissed out concept of what it meant to wake up, which... At the time, I thought, this is awesome. But I was awake enough to think, well, it's not the whole answer, but it, it is really a great part. I don't want to suffer, so why not do the work to get to the other side of our suffering? But as my life unfolded and as the years went by, I, I got knocked out a few times by, by whatever it is that is controlling all this, whatever flow, chance, whatever. And I remember thinking, this is incredibly difficult at times. Um, yeah. And so ultimately, um, I think what, what I was waking up to is that in order for us to do this work, we have to take an honest look at how we are creating our own suffering, which mm -hmm. is the hardest work to do. The ego is like, no, 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 I'm good. Those people are screwy. I I'm fine. But, you know, how do I just get on the fast track to wake up? So I'm just like zen out. Right. So that, those, my personal challenges brought me into the darkness enough to see that waking up was not an easy process, that I could either give up, I could get angry and turn into a different type of human, or I could soften my ego and move through the process with as much awareness as I could muster and see what would 
happen on the other end of it all. And that was the impetus to, to start this. So really what you're describing really is what most people call dark night of the soul or ego death. Some people call it ego death and it's, it's, it's not fun. <laughs> right. And yet it is an integral part to us yes. dissociating from the ego where the ego is no longer in former in formal charge and associating with the spirit body, which may want to do things that make no sense to your career plans, makes no sense to your linear sense of, of whatever it is that you perceive life as. Yeah. Uh, and it calls you to do, to do work that may, you know, not be part of the original plan, uh, but it's work that our soul needs. And so we take, you know, Carl Jung uh, uh, would say um, that, uh, Ultimately, we'll do anything we can to not face our own stuff. That's the way to say it. In your article that I was reading, you mentioned Luke Skywalker <laughs> going into the you know the cave. This is from the original Star Wars when he's training with Yoda, and he's drawn to the cave. Yeah, and Yoda's like, "You sure you want to go in there?" Right. And he goes in there and he comes face to face with Darth Vader, who he knows he has to face at some point. Mm -hmm. And he cuts his head off and the head falls down and it dissolves and he sees that it's him. Huge metaphor. And I appreciated you adding Star Wars into that. Big, big fan, big Star Wars geek here. You know, there's a lot of metaphorical value there. We have to face ourselves, don't we? I would say we will face ourselves, whether we're pressing into it or we're being dragged by spirit through horrible experiences. You know, some people are, are very asleep. Uh, they're not mindful and they're kind of walking through the world, living in their head. And, you know, these people may not get a so-called glimpse until they're on their deathbed. Hmm. Whereas someone like yourself, myself, we're, we're, we're trying to get there before the deathbed, you know, we're trying to die before we die, as they mm. say in some Eastern traditions, right? Right. Not easy. No, it's not easy. And I, it, it, it really, I remember years ago having a great teacher and she gave a lecture and she basically said, you're either going to be chased down by the universe and be brought through your experiences or you're going to walk through on your own. You're going to press into the resistance that you have to face your own BS, to face what life is, is giving you. And I remember being really moved by that because I thought, I don't want to be a victim to this. I don't want to miss the opportunity. I know I've been born to teach. I've been born to do my work at a very deep level. And often I think, Man, I must have been a really bad king a few lifetimes ago because I'm paying for a lot of this stuff. But I think that, that the life that we are all in now, is it's intense. Uh, and, and we have the opportunity to either acquiesce to some other force taking us through a powerful journey, or we can, we can look straight forward and take those steps ourselves. And I remember thinking I wanted to do the latter. I wanted to be the one driving the car as much as possible uh, because it just gives you a different perspective. You know, I just saw this meme online that said, my gas tank keeps running out of gas. Why does this keep happening to me? 
And I just cracked up. I thought, isn't that it? I mean, life happens. <laughs> Stuff goes down. And we sit there and go, why is this happening? Because we're in this game of life. We have signed on for an epic journey. When we've done the studying, or at least enough to know the nuts and bolts of spirituality, when a Dark night episode, we'll call it an episode, happens, at least you know that it's happening. Versus if you're in, if you're, if you're totally unaware and it happens, then you're lost, you're scared. Some people might even commit suicide. And so what that's what I just heard you say is that at some point in your life, you said, uh-uh, I'm getting in the driver's seat. Right. It, it's very powerful. And it is, it is a pivotal moment in the spiritual journey. It, it is where we go from victim to victor. It's where we finally say, I probably signed up for all this crap and I might as well deal with it. It is my soul journey, right? So I, I'm going to, and so I, I've to, told students for decades, you know, it, you don't have to do like high end spiritual work. Your work is to pay attention to what's happening in front of you now. I guarantee you will get plenty of opportunity to do spiritual work if you're paying attention to your office space, if you're paying attention to your relationship with your spouse or friend or whatever, if you're paying attention to whether you're taking care of the physical body or not. Uh, we'll have plenty of opportunities to do deep work. Uh, and as we pay attention to it, we begin to detect patterns. We begin to become aware that sometimes it is our fault or our cause, and sometimes it's not. And we, and we can have a different response to whatever we're facing based on the current reality. And so a lot of that has to do with whether we are willing to accept our current reality. Do we really know where we are as we set out to address an issue, right? I always told students for years that, if you were driving and you wanted to get to San Francisco and you got a map from San Diego to San Francisco and you said, okay, let's go. But you happen to be in Chicago. Mm. You say, well, the map is good. It says there's how you get there, but I can't find my way. And so the first thing we do is this sort of self revelation. We start to really peel back the onion skins and say, where am I? What are really, what do I believe? And where am I a jerk and where am I really doing my work? And where, where do I need to stay attuned so I don't cause damage as I move along this path, right? And so knowing where we are is essential if we want to get to where we think we're going, even though I still think that's an illusion. But we do want, we want a path. We want to say, well, I'd like to sleep better at night. I'd like to not be a jerk to my spouse because this is causing a lot of suffering. I'd like to, you know, whatever, whatever the condition is. And so once we really do an honest assessment of who am I, where am I, what's the real deal with me? Uh, that to me is the beginning of it all. And then we start to step into these um, really intense experiences. Uh, but, but, not unlike the teachers that I used to be with in LA that would really sell the idea of a peaceful, awakened human. You get that. You get that. But you also have all this other stuff that is karmically and dharmically linked to your soul yeah. journey. And it's, a, it's a detox, essentially. Yeah, it's a great way of saying it. Great way of saying it. I, I, uh, I got thrown into one just recently, like uh, February, March, April, May, June, July started coming out August. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, that it was just it was brutally intense. Wow. 
Yeah. And um, so, you know, thank goodness for this podcast. I was able to talk to people and get experiences and the, the podcast became my guru in a way. <laughs> and well, you know, there's, there's the great secret is all of us who are doing teaching are really teaching ourselves first. You know, I realized after a few years of being in this sort of uh, healing realm, uh, you know, my calling was, I want to help. I want to leave the world a better place than I found it. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I don't know that I'm worthy of doing that, but I want to do that. And you realize that we find ways to get out there and learn what we need to learn most. And, you know, as the Buddhists would say, you can't offer kindness if you're not kind. So you, you do the work. And then you can offer it to your students. But I've always said to my students over the years that I am a, I am a, I'm an advanced student. I, I've done this work, but every time I sit down to teach, I begin with my beginner mind because it really enriches my experiences and makes me a deeper teacher. If I'm really in tune with what's happening and I'm dealing with my own stuff and addressing it so that I'm not living unconsciously. So it, I think you know, your gravitation to this podcast is a beautiful thing, allowing people to say what they need to say, allowing listeners to pick up little jewels uh, along the way that might help them, that they'll never forget. Oh, I remember that one time with Bernie Siegel, uh, you know, and it was so interesting. Uh, and, and that's really what I live for, those moments where people have, oh, oh, that's a great idea. I love that. And we're all here in a weave of human life, helping each other out, as Ram Das would say, walking each other home. Wow. And, and you realize you're one thin thread that sometimes seems insignificant but if you stand back and look at the weave of humanity you're not insignificant your weave is essential and if it becomes dysfunctional then that whole area of the weave becomes really ugly or out of sorts mm -hmm. so our goal as you know spiritual beings is to try to keep that weave going as best we can with as much love as we can with as much self-work and humility as we can because uh, we can see what's going on in society where that humility does not exist and it's causing a lot. It has always caused a lot of suffering. So using myself as an example, it's probably safe to say it's going to happen again because I didn't fully awaken. So it's a rebirth. So when, when someone becomes enlightened, it's a rebirth. Hence Jesus, cross, resurrection. <laughs> right. And, and a new life begins, a completely new life just begins. Exactly. And, and along your lines, I just had a major experience that rocked my world. And I, I've had a lot in the last five years. I've been last 10 years since my partner passed away. And I have to say these last five years have been so intense, but this COVID experience has really rocked my world and, 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 and put me into a box and forced me to sit with myself, which I am grateful to say most of it I really resonate with and I like it, but there's still some, you know, there's still plenty of darkness here to be worked out. If I was completely enlightened, I probably wouldn't be sitting here, right? And that, my belief is there's no such thing as full enlightenment. I, I have to believe maybe the Buddha really did exist and there is someone who gets it, but I think even still, if you're in this realm where we've pulled darkness and light apart so we can slow time and space, so we can taste chocolate and touch a child's face and laugh at the ocean or whatever it is we do in this realm, um, it, it's really, uh, if we're still here, there's work to be done. There's work to be done, right?
And I like the idea of a rebirth because we must give up who we are now in order to become that which we would be. But the ego says, what a bunch of crap. You're, I'm not giving up Will. This I like him. He's good. I don't know what you're talking about. But I just went through an experience that allowed me to release huge amounts of baggage. It was extremely painful. But I thought on this end of it, I'm like, best thing that has ever happened to me. I've never been happier and I've never felt lighter. And after two years of kind of misery with COVID, being trapped on a small island in Hawaii, being so isolated, and then trying, my career's blown out of the water. So I have to recreate myself until the until we can come together as, you know, yogis and, and students. And uh, But I'm telling you, I stayed with that. I was honest. And now, you know, it was a dark night of the soul. It was one of the worst I've ever experienced. And now I'm like, wow, this is why we stay here to do this work. And, and if we can renegotiate in our brains that those, those are a death, but they're not a, a complete death. It's a death of this concept I had of myself that I was clinging to that really is so silly now to look at. I'm like, oh, I got it. I hadn't, apparently I hadn't done that work in 20 or 30 years because that's an old, old idea. And so I've fortunately been able to let that go. And now my life it's just like spinning. It's just fantastic. And I'm like, whoa. So when we kind of settle in and do our work and we're willing to let go of the person we are right now for that which we could become, then I think our lives begin to catapult forward rather than sort of stay stuck. Surrender. Yeah. Deep surrender. <laughs> you got to be willing to die. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the great mystics have always said, can you sit with your pain until it breaks you open? And most of us say, no, not even close. And some of us say, yeah, it's so bad. I'm going to go jump off a bridge. And so, you know, that, it's deep work. And, well, that's and this, what was happening to me. I, I was having suicidal thoughts. I've never had a suicidal thought in my life. Ah. Never. Yeah. And all I, of a sudden, this nonsense was crossing my mind. I'm like, what is this? I think that's normal. I have to tell you that three years after my partner died, I was in so much pain. It was the first time I thought, oh, I think I need to, I mean, so I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I, ha I was having, a all my friends were like, your life is unbelievable, right? I was teaching yoga and leading retreats. And it was in Hawaii. It was in the most beautiful. I mean, it was incredible. But the inside was like, I can't. I don't know why I haven't been able to heal this grief. And so I remember fantasizing about, about ending it, swimming off into the ocean and just letting the ocean take me. Mm. Um, and, and I think that in this day and age, that's not an uncommon reaction to feeling incredibly uncomfortable because there are so many things that we are all waking up to now. We're having a collective uplift and it has yeah. to happen. We have to make the darkness visible because we are going to have a couple of choices. Do we want to live in an authoritarian world where people are like the Taliban being beaten into submission to follow a particular belief system and law? Or do we want people to be more complicated and let what source would have created a great diversity? Are we capable of allowing that to flourish? And that diversity first has to flourish in us, right? Everything that we do has to first be done in this container. Mm -hmm. And then we can try to teach and take it out into the world. But I can tell you, you know, mo there's a lot of people who might do spiritual bypass. Uh, and spiritual bypass is a complicated thing. I I'm sure I've done it, but I hope I haven't done it in quite some time. Uh, because I usually try to take an honest assessment of my own BS. And I usually let my friends tell me like it is. And I, you know, but most of us kind of go into the sort of, I just want to be happy. 
So I, I don't have a problem anymore. And, and so spiritual bypass is a, a really powerful tool. What, if we're in it, we know we need to sink deeper and awaken to our true strengths, which is being able to face ourselves in that, whether it was a cave or a, a jungle, I don't really remember completely, but I remember Luke's in that dark space fighting Darth and finding out that he's, he, he's capable of it, right? Yeah. We're all capable of being a Buddha or Jeffrey Dahmer. All of right, us. Right. And once you wake up to that, you're like, ah, oh my God. But then you're alive and you can steer the boat. You know what waters you're in. And you can try to shoot for the right shore. You know, Osho has a, a quote, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, the, the problem with awakening is you have to be the surgeon and the patient. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And yeah, perfect. It's really true. There is, you are, I think what, what took me to this experience I just had this year was a year and a half of being isolated, which was driving me crazy. I mean, I, it's unfair to humans to isolate humans, right? It's, it's a cruel thing. It's painful. And it, it really plays with our mental health. And I think we're seeing a lot of people who've had anxiety where they never did or suicidal thoughts where they never have. Uh, I think we're pushing the envelope by isolating so much. And, um, but that isolation, I have to say, stirs exactly the darkness that is you. And if you can't cope with it, you're gonna suffer. And so the goal is to say, stay humble, to soften the ego. If you pray, then you, you offer yourself, just say, use me allow me to get through this, show me the wisdom to navigate this unknowable territory, uh, however you can get there, right? Um, but it is an epic battle. It is designed to crush you. Like somebody, I read a quote years ago that said, yoga is there to crush you, just crumble you. And I thought, and I think I probably wrote about one of my essays somewhere, it's in there. Uh, and I remember thinking, how? But yeah, right? We, we don't just do yoga to imagine beams of light floating through us. If we could, we would do that. But you, you do a posture on a day you're, you're irritable or impatient and some stuff's going to come up. And that edge, which I talk about all the time in all my classes, getting to the edge is the most sacred place for us yogis. It is a place where you're pressing in to the difficulty, but not too much. If you do too much, you're going to injure yourself. If you don't do enough, you're not really having an experience. If you do it just right, it's just the right power for an alchemical shift. And that's why yogis tend to get stretchier and bendier and stronger over time if they're doing it because they're pressing in. But that's a metaphor for the emotional and spiritual work that we're doing, which is pressing into our own sense of low self-esteem, our own rage issues, our own racism, our own phobias. Uh, we press into those and think, huh, why do I have such a fear of that person over there. Interesting. I'm uncomfortable and I'm going to have to deal with that. And maybe I'll journal about it and get to the root of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I had a few moments in my experience where I was definitely on the floor talking to God, pleading, doing some pleading. Right. Wow. You know, it's, you just said it, you know, it's a, it's a surrendering and a, and a asking looking for that wisdom what's next what's happening but when you know what's happening like you said you, you can hop in that driver's seat uh, one of my teacher vishrant from australia he just recently put out a book and i was reading it and he was 
talking about when he went through his dark night experience mm-hmm. that he went through it alone but because he did all the studying he knew what was happening mm-hmm. and because of that he didn't do any coping mechanisms he said a lot of people don't make it to the rebirth because they cling to a coping mechanism in other words they're not prepared mm-hmm. to just die And he says, when you surrender and you completely just, okay, I'm okay with this forever. I'm okay with this misery forever. Then you really start to unravel the onion. I mean, this what I'm saying sounds easy, but it's not, obviously. But this is how he described it. And he had his rebirth in, you know, like 21 years ago. So. Yeah, I actually, I, I don't want to claim anything, but what I just went through was so profound. I think I just had a rebirth because I feel so good now. And I, I have not felt well uh, energetically in quite some time because of several things. One, I had a health issue that played out, but then COVID hit and everything got toxic and I had to back away from it. And then I went through this shocking experience with somebody I care about uh, and it set me free. And now I'm like, oh, Wow. And this is for me with all the decades of intense spiritual work that I, I wouldn't, that I have been put into because of life, like life has thrown me into a fire and I thought, well, you can either quit or you can go through the fire. Right. Uh, But this last one, like yours was so intense. uh, And the only way that I can now like, think what was that is that I feel so good now. I feel like a thousand pounds lighter. I feel like I'm in high school going off to college for the first time. I have this excitement <laughs> about life and I'm like, oh my God. Right, nice. Is this the unburdening that we read about? Yeah. You know, and for me now, I'm like, yeah, it is. It's incredible. So, you know, and I guess anybody listening to this who's going through the, the, the crap that we can go through, the, the weeks and months and sometimes years and if not decades of darkness, of not knowing why the heaviness is there, I would just say, get softer and softer, soften your ego, cry all you need to, get help, go to therapy, read books, journal every day, do your morning pages, and just somehow get through it. Do not quit until until you're, you're literally your heart gives out. Do not, you know, just stay with it. Because for me, I haven't even really journaled publicly, but this feeling I have is so fantastic that <laughs> had I known that this was what it felt like, I would have had much more faith going through the unknown earlier. Because <laughs> right. you know, you're like, who knows if I'm going to be any better? Maybe right. I'm a jerk. Maybe I'll never be happy. Maybe I'll never be able to love or be able to have a perfect career or all that stuff where we're in doubt. And I, I'm sitting today in these last few months thinking, whoa, it's as if a huge storm was taken out of my side and I feel great again. And it's been, I mean, I've gone through my karma stuff these last 10 years, right? Since my partner, I mean, my life blew up. I lost everything. Uh, I, and I couldn't figure out for years why I was still suffering, but it's because I'd lost not only my partner, but my company. I lost my condo. I lost my sense of self. I lost my, I lost my whole identity. Was, was blown up into a thousand pieces. So it took me like five years to finally go, ah. And then my last stage of mourning was mourning who I thought I was back in 2008 and 2009. I liked that guy. I didn't want him to get blown up, but he got blown up. And so, you know, as I was in Hawaii, just 
hanging on like a, a, an animal wounded, licking its wounds as I swim with the dolphins and, and dance, ecstatic, do ecstatic dance and hang out under a full moon with friends and just almost cry because it's so beautiful. Those elements got me through some of the roughest moments, but it wasn't really until five years after the big blowout that I was like, so much of grief is because we've lost a portion of our identity, our self-identity. We don't know how to do it. It's like um, the book called uh, The Year of Magical Thinking, Joan, oh, I'm forgetting her name right now. Uh, it'll come to me in a minute. She uh, really said for the first year after her husband died, she thought, I know, I know my life will go back to normal at some point. Maybe he'll come back, I don't know. So there's this disconnect with reality where you're like, no, it's fine. And I'm sure it's all going to go back to normal, which I was living. I wanted my old life, but I, I was trying desperately to shake it off. I was journaling and teaching and doing my deepest work. And it really wasn't until about the five-year point that I thought all grief, all grief is really first the grief of the self, whether you've lost a loved one, but you're grieving an idea of who you thought you were, and it's never coming back. And so the only way out is through, and the only way forward is to keep marching. As Winston Churchill says, if you find yourself in the middle of hell, keep walking. And that was my mantra for years. I thought, this is horrible. But then I'd go teach an amazing class, and while I taught, I was okay. Well, my students were there, and we were discussing this and doing yoga and chanting and doing whatever it was we did. I was like, I'm fine. And then I go off on my own. And after a day or two, I'm like, oh, God, this is horrible. Yeah. Right? So it was this, but it, it was the final uh, key to my freedom I now see was the realization that I had to do the morning of the loss of my own self, not my partner, not my company, not, not my TV show, not anything else, but just really the sense that will, as I've known him, no longer exists. This is all fresh and new and the future is unknowable. And that's, you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> Grief is a trigger, no doubt about it. Mm. Because we want to cling to things, right? We want to cling so bad to things, houses, cars, people, and our ego, our false right. identity, our respectability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exact bingo, right? The ego's like, I really like that respectability business. Yeah, you, everyone thinks you're pretty awesome, right? And then you lose the job, the career, the spouse, the child, the whatever. Yeah. And it blows it up. Well, I look at Mike Tyson. I mean, from a celebrity standpoint, this guy has evolved like no celebrity I don't think we've ever seen. He's completely vulnerable. He cries all the time on camera. He's just so open. His daughter died at four years old. He's been through a lot. This dude's yeah. been through a lot. And he's awakening right in front of our eyes. That's incredible. Mike Tyson used to knock people out and go right. to jail and like do drugs, like, right. you know, and, and so I think this is probably our purpose in being here. It's, it's the evolution of the soul, the development of the soul or beingness, whatever you want to call it to, to get to that, back to that source, to find our way home. Yeah. Right. Coming back to that state. And I used to believe my role was to help usher in heaven on earth because when I'm with my students and we're having one of those collective moments where it's so profound, I could never put words to it. And I always think, well, this is a moment of heaven on earth. We're all together. We are working on our own stuff. We are loving each other. 
and we are releasing these tendrils of untruth. And to me, those moments are so incredible. But uh, I mean, this is another podcast entirely, but um, <laughs> my concept of allegorical story from my being raised as a Christian and Catholic, uh, I've shifted greatly. Um, and I really, at this point, I don't know. I'm not, I'm certainly not, I'm not, I don't know what my voice is, just my own little voice. But I used to believe that we could have complete peace on earth, that that's the ultimate goal. And I'm working on a novel now. I'm just at the beginning stages and I'm not a novelist, but maybe I will get there uh, about this journey that humans are taking uh, where we are really trying to find our way, but we've made some really bad decisions, but it's going to come to a head. And I, I think that what's happening with us now on this planet is uh, with global warming, so many people denying it, companies fighting against it. We have like three major plastic companies that are trying to build on, in the U.S. that's going to pump out garbage that will never be destroyed unless we send it into outer space. This is not a good time to up the level of plastics on the planet. And yet capitalism and the desire for money is a strong elixir. Uh, and we humans are left holding the bag saying, well, how, what are we supposed to do now? How do we, how do we look at this insane world, this catastrophe, as John Kabat-Zinn would call it, uh, and deal with it, right? And for me, the only way that I know how to deal with it is to change myself. It is the Gandhi quote made real every day, and that's why I teach. If you want to save the world, you get people back online where they're in tune with their spirit body and can get uncomfortable enough to say, there's a homeless person at the foot of my condo, and I'm not upset that I want him in jail. I'm upset because I want him to get mental health services and physical health services. Why is that person there? What have we done as a society? Uh, and, and that waking up is essential. So I've never taught students this, and I suppose I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to be fast up, but in the last 10 years, I realized I'm there to bring people to their own discomfort so that they can get good at it and they can move through it and they can start making decisions that are based in, in lucid, clear ch choosing rather than a denial. Oh, homeless issue is not my problem, whatever. It is America's problem. It, it, to me, I look, I used to go through Portland and think, oh my God, there's a homeless person everywhere. LA, same thing. Homeless, aggressive homeless people everywhere and I remember thinking this this is like the beginning of the downfall of a civilization you can't live like this it's not only bad for them but it's bad for me and you psychologically we denigrate our beautiful lives when we step over a homeless person thinking I don't really know what to do and so I hope that enough of us begin to awaken through these practices these mindfulness practices I hope enough of us are courageous warriors enough so that we can start saying I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for the homeless person, because I don't know how they got there, <clears throat> but I don't think it's necessarily their fault. If there were 10 people homeless, I'd think, well, whatever. But if there's millions of homeless people, I think we're doing something wrong as a society. And so my goal as a teacher and as a writer is to help people find that solid ground, however uncomfortable, so they can do the real work, right? Do the real work. And that is the only way I can imagine the, a real revolution happening. Uh, is when people wake up. The, the word that comes to mind is responsibility. Right. Taking responsibility, even if it's not your fault. Exactly. Bingo. Right? Because we're all in this alone together. And so we look out at a world that's a mess.
And everyone born today can say, I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't create that. Right. And yet you're part of humanity and therefore it's on your lap. What are you going to do with it? We got to go through the discomfort. That's the spiritual warrior. That yeah. is the spiritual warrior. Yeah. And I never used to understand with yoga. I thought, why are they? So if, if yoga is a peaceful practice, why are there warrior poses? Like, who are we fighting? And so I think um, I, it took me years, maybe eight or 10 years before I went, oh, the warrior pose is to fight your inner demons. You have to be damn strong to do that, stronger than you'd ever imagine. Like Luke Skywalker fighting Darth mm -hmm. himself. And so now it, it took me a while to understand that, but that this is why yoga is such a valuable practice is it takes you to your edge every day if you're doing it correctly, if there's a way to say that correctly. Uh, but if you're actually practicing yoga, you're pushing into your limits constantly. And yoga is not just physical, it's mental, it's breath work, it's mind work. Uh, and when you can press into those limits, then you can expand. I don't think that we'll ever have heaven on earth, although my novel is going to postulate whether we can get back to Eden, right? Uh, but I don't, I don't believe it's so right now. I look out at the sea of humanity, I think, we can't even get along in our own households, let alone as a society. So we're in for a bumpy ride for a while. But the Aquarian age is calling for 5,000 years of peace. So if that's true, and we're all waking up intuitively, what's the world going to look like in 100 years or 500 years? Well, some people do say that we're going through a collective ascension or right. awakening. You know? Right. I, I have no idea if it's true or not. But you just said something powerful. You know, if we can't even get along with the people we live with, our own household, how can we go out there and, you know, <laughs> get along with everyone out there? Exactly. And along those lines, I'd love to add this because I'm just starting to write about it. But I came across an article on Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Buddhist monk who I love. I followed. Mm -hmm. I read his book, Pieces Every Step, about 25 or 30 years ago, and it changed my life. And now every time I do the dishes, I'm like, this is awesome. And I hate, I hate doing the dishes. So every time I'm like, okay, you just had a beautiful meal. There's hot water coming right out of the sink in this beautiful kitchen. Why? This is awesome. This is beautiful. Uh, and so he, once again, uh, has helped me. And he basically says love is understanding. Yeah. And if you don't yet understand your partner, you don't yet fully love them. And I was like, oh, my God, that's deep. That, and he, and he, will, he clearly articulates that in order to understand your partner, you must fully understand yourself. You cannot understand someone else if you haven't done the work inside. And this is why I've really leaned toward Buddhism, studying Buddhism or practicing it on occasion. I have no, I have no chosen organization, religion, whatever. Um, but Buddhism really is powerful yeah. in that it always says, do the work first and then watch it play out in the world. Yes. And I love that. And so if you really want to love somebody, you must learn how to love yourself. And that means no self-abuse. If you are, just stay with it. If you're drinking too much or eating the wrong foods or just working too many hours, then slow down, pay attention. Are you okay? And once you start to correct those internal elements, then you can be of help to others, right? Yeah, and, and shout out to Thich Nhat Hanh. He's still alive, hanging in there at 90 years old. 
I think he's like 95, I think. I mean, it's crazy. He's so beautiful. And I'm here uh, in New York, and there's this, not far from where I am right now, there's a bridge uh, that was built by Thich Nhat Hanh's, uh, you know, volunteers and... Plum um, Village? Yeah, exactly. They were all in this area. Uh, and they did this bridge, and I walk over it every time. I'm like, Thich Nhat Hanh, woo! You know, <laughs> there's wonderful <laughs> vibes from him. Because uh, I think he's really, I mean, he came from a hellish childhood and has done superb work. And he helps us, like, at my age, to finally come across a quote on love that I'm like, that's really helpful. Yeah. Love is understanding. And if I can't understand the person that I'm with, I can't fully love them. And you can translate that to a, 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 a social media and social uh, commentary in terms of our governmental programs. If you don't understand the people that you're serving, you're not loving them. And I, you know, I say it's radical time for the government to start loving. You know, and to you could also look at the opposite side of that and say that all conflict comes from misunderstanding. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> right. That's easy, right? We, I think, we know that, and I think the the beauty of softening and saying all love is essentially fully understanding the person in front of you. The yeah. person you're in relationship with and and so we soften our hearts we listen we try to get empathy right compassion it's hard to do that if they're doing let's say they're a heroin addict you're like oh this is driving me crazy i'm gonna kill you if you're doing this you know the truth is can you soften and say why would they be doing that and how can i be a light for them to maybe make a different choice without hitting them over the head with shame you know yeah. so yeah i think that's a, a perfect perfect balance so I, I wonder if Thich Nhat Hanh went through a dark night of the soul. Um, he, he became a monk very young. So I don't know if he's ever talked about it or not. Well, he has. And I'm not an expert, even though I quote him. But I know that he was in Vietnam. And I think he was there during the Napalm experiences. And he came here to the States pretty much you know, leveled. And I think, I think he faced horrors as a child from what little I've read. So don't quote me if it's not true. But (laughs) from what I understand is he went through some true horror as a child came and and ended up uh, in the United States and France and, um, and, and really realized that in order to end the suffering that he went through, the work was internal first to get people in alignment with with compassion, with love, with, with, the, with the elements of humanity that are kind and beautiful and allow for life. I really feel that we as a world and as a society have abdicated our power to some form of government that, you know, you're like, well, I don't really, I can't deal with government. Well, unfortunately you are the government. I mean, we vote for people. We, and, and so I think it's really essential uh, to kind of take Thich Nhat Hanh's lead and say, no matter what we've been through, it's our responsibility to slowly and gently, as gently as possible, wake up and start participating by helping those in front of us, right? And and I think that that's a, a path that he's done superbly. In. And using sort of uh, notorious spiritual teachers as examples, Eckhart Tolle, he, he was miserable. Right. He was miserable and and then one night he just was reborn and his whole mm. life was changed and so his story is quite different because he wasn't on the spiritual path he was right. just a miserable dude in his 20s right 
And yeah. so that, that story really stands out. Every You and I both are capable of awakening right now. Right now. And Eckhart maybe has lived many lives and he finally came in this one and thought, right? And he just woke up that day. But I think we're all capable of doing that. I guess the point is I, I don't want to feel dissociated from others who just haven't worked. I feel like whatever I got to today, I worked my ass off for. Yeah, and yeah. So I haven't had spontaneous wake up, right? nothing. So uh, I think, I suppose in some ways you could say he was chosen, but I also think it's his dharma to have awakened at that age in his 20s to say, you know what, I, you know, he had that meaning in him somewhere, yeah, that yeah. power. Uh, and I think he probably just had a psychological shift for whatever reasons yeah. um, that that just snapped him into alignment, but that work had probably been done in other realms, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. And, and then uh, Ramana Maharshi happened for him very young. He was like 16, 17. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is he like, he went off to a cave and just hung out for a few years because he didn't know what to do. Osho's dark night was intense. Parents were bringing him to doctors, <laughs> like thinking he needs medicine, mm. and he got it got so bad that he couldn't he couldn't even talk. Just the words just wouldn't come out. It scary. It sounds scary. And then his father brought him to a a, a doctor who recognized it. You know they're in India, right? It's not going to happen here more than likely but in india this one doctor was like oh no 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 he started giving him sugar pills Hmm. just to get the dad off his back he was giving him sugar pills that did nothing for him interesting and was just like this kid is waking up he's 20 years old at the time this kid is waking up let's just let him go through it and then it happened but it was brutal Hmm. like a lot of people would take their lives. Um, And and so I'm just using these sort of famous spiritual teachers as examples that for anyone listening, like what a test, what a challenge this is to to go through this, (laughs) this forest or cave, like Blue Skywalker, you become a Jedi Knight and take the galaxy back. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh, Ram Das went through a lot of crying, a lot of. I mean, the end of Ram Das's life, going with the stroke. I'm like, how's he doing that? Yeah. I just, and he was so graceful. And I remember I went to an event with him, and I'm forgetting Sanatam Kar is the singer in the Kundalini and Sikh world. She's so lovely. Her father and Ram Das were friends, and I happened to be on Maui, and so we went to. A gathering. It was a small gathering, about 20 people. It was fantastic. And it was just a beautiful gathering. Um, and Ram Das has really always amazed me. But when he had his stroke, I thought, wouldn't you just want to give up at that point? Like, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to go to bed and bitch, you know, I, whatever. Yeah. And he didn't. I mean, he really used his illness to help himself awaken, to recognize we're just shedding this anyway. So okay, I can't really move like I used to. Well, um, you just said something. Yeah, you just said something interesting because I wasn't 100% sure that you know he didn't have his rebirth until the stroke, after the stroke. So right. he, was, he was a spiritual teacher for decades, right. but he wasn't fully awakened. Yes. And it was the stroke that 
which is all too ironic because he's a master speaker. I know, right? He's literally one of the greatest speakers I've ever heard. And I think it ties in well with this Adi Ashanti concept and, and even Ram Das, where they basically say this realm is here to break you down, to keep, keep shaking off the mud, the layers of mud, the earthliness of it. And I, <clears throat> I think for me, I mean, it, it's, it, and this is why, you know, the dark side of enlightenment, it is a powerhouse experience if you're waking up. It is not an easy sitting in a bolster, smelling incense and, you know, it, that's part of it. There are moments in our spiritual journey that are so profound. And a lot of times they're just the morning. You wake up and you're like, God, I feel great. But it, I'm not surprised that Ram Das had that experience and had the grace to stay with it because it's in absolute keeping with what he taught. And it's not dissimilar than if you read the autobiography, autobiography of a yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. Yeah. And if I have a guru, it's probably him. And I remember he went home and his uh, master, his, his guru, essentially went through all these horrific things before he died. And he's like, master, I don't understand. You're enlightened. How are you? He said, stop. I'm burning off karma. This has absolutely got to happen. So he knew that this is the realm we live in. If we're on this earthly plane, which I think is just a big holographic dream, but a real dream that feels, and we're going to take our lessons with us, then of course the advanced yogi, until somebody's truly the Buddha, I think we're going to go through some, some stuff, right? And I think that's, I don't think we should dwell on it because we can go through long periods where life is just beautiful and simple and easy and lovely. Uh, but I also think it would be fool's gold to think that we're okay and we're not going to do any more work, that everything's going to be easy. I mean, the world's intensifying and therefore all our experiences are getting more intense. So there, we've signed up for this experience collectively and individually. So why not use it? Why not just say, okay, soften the ego, stay in, move through this garbage this stuff I do not understand and stay awake so that when you're on the other side of it, hopefully you'll garner a few jewels from the dung heap, right? But one of the other articles that I wrote was, you know, don't waste your pain. There's a jewel in the dung heap. And, uh, and so I think that part of the spiritual journey, and as you know, this book was written because I was going through grief and I was wanting to give up. I didn't want to have this new life, even though it was beautiful, but I was like, no, I want that life. That's the life I, went for and that was good and so to get into a realm where it was all blown up uh, i really had to keep coming back to appreciating the simplest things the simplest things you know and and not give up and uh i think we're all on this journey now together alone together right we're all in this alone together there is this amazing collective but all of us are working on our own stuff. We're all appearing out from our own individuated eyes and individuated soul. And we're, we're having our own individuated experience yeah. of that soul's journey, the Dharma of it. And I find it absolutely fascinating, absolutely dangerous, absolutely uplifting, absolutely terrifying. I find it a lot of things. Yeah. It's brutal. But you know, you know, uh, coming back to myself, you know, when I go through it again, I have to assume it's going to happen again. I'll understand it so much more. Mm. It will. Even, even splitting my experience up, because it was about six months, the three and three. The first three months, 
I couldn't understand the crying. Mm-hmm. I was like, why am I crying so much? I, one week I cried every day for seven days. It was just, right. wow. it was brutal. And then once I figured it out, I started liking it. And I was like, oh, I got a feeling in my stomach. I bet you I'm going to cry today at some point. There's a sweetness to it, isn't there? Like seven hours later, a big cry comes and it's like, hey, cool. I'm releasing. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm telling people I'm cleansing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, here I go. I'm cleansing. (laughs) And it's just these brutal weepings, these, these wailings, like, you know, Rocky three, when Mickey dies, like the wailing and and once I started understanding it, I started being able to surrender to it. Great. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, I, I'm here to support you energetically. So bravo. Thanks. And I, I want you to know that you've been through your spiritual warrior journey. And I actually, from what I've seen online and other pictures, you look different today. I don't know if it's the lighting. I don't know what it is, but you do look different. <laughs> um, so I'd say keep doing that beautiful work and unburdening yourself with past karmas. Burning it off. Burning it off. Yeah. Burning it off. I remember reading Pema Chodron and she said, the best day of my life was the day essentially that I've, I had a nervous breakdown. And this is why I love the Buddhists. I'm not, I don't proclaim to be a Buddhist, but I am strongly influenced by it. And I, and I remember thinking, well, why was that such a great day for you? And then as you realize, because she said I was in the wrong life, it wasn't the life meant for me. And we could all feel it. And so everything fell apart. Um, and, and so a lot of times I'll address, you know, the Buddhists who, who just go right into the heart of darkness and say, yes, this is where, this is where it all plays out. Yeah. And they're right. And it's just brilliantly brave, you know? And, and I, think when you, I think you touched on that energetically, which is what triggered this thought, which is you're like, oh God, I can feel that tingling in my gut. I'm gonna be weeping in about an hour. Woo, this is great. Like, let's just, let's keep moving through it. And maybe when you're buckled over, it doesn't feel great, but you're, you're shedding, right? You're peeling those onion skins, it hurts like hell. It's not okay, you know? And there's that song out by I don't know who, that says it's okay not to be okay. And that's been a mantra of mine, like, thank you, because there's many days I'm not okay with this world, with what's going down with it. I'm not okay. And with COVID, it really took me into my own inner, like, neuroses. Um, But, you know, it's okay not to be okay. But if you stay as a spiritual warrior, if you commit to just getting through it, Maya Angelou says, every storm runs out of rain. It will end. And as you age, you realize the good ends, but also the bad ends. So if you're in a really crappy moment, I promise you it will not always be that bad. It may even get worse, but it will be, it will end at some point. And you're going about your business and you'll be walking on a beach thinking life is so beautiful. Hmm. Life is so beautiful. Right on. So where can someone find you? Say hello, buy a book. Oh, thank you. At uh, my website, which is willspracticalyoga.com, I have uh, a book, uh, Practical Yoga's Wisdom for Everyday People, which is the series of essays that I created from my spirituality and health blog, uh, an essay. I didn't want them to go into the internet ether, so I edited them, cleaned them up, put them in sections, and put it together as a book. And, uh, it gets lots of good feedback. Uh, so thanks for letting me mention it. Yeah, it would be great to have people pop by and sign up for the newsletter and stay connected. Cool. How about social media? 
Uh, so I'm Will's Practical Yoga on Facebook and Instagram. All right. Excellent. Will, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Really nice talking to you, too. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.